Good evening. My name is Robert Butler. It's my uh, pleasure to uh, chair the discussion on Lawrence and work this evening. And um, I'm delighted to uh, introduce uh, Pamela Cox and uh, Andrew Harrison. Uh, Pamela is a professor of sociology at, at Essex University. And um, as well as being a sociologist and a historian and a criminologist, she has presented um, programs on the BBC on uh, servants, uh, the story, but the true story below stairs, and shop girls, the true story behind the counter. And uh, Andrew is assistant professor at Nottingham, uh, obviously very close to uh, where Lawrence was born. And uh, he is not only um, director of the research centre for D. H. Lawrence, he's the founding editor of the Journal of D. H. Lawrence Studies, and he a couple of years ago even discovered an unknown manuscript by D.H. Lawrence. Even more than that, he mm. actually lives in Eastwood. <laughs> so uh, we're, uh, we have the experts on hand. Um, I wonder if we just have a show of hands as to who has seen the play. Great. And who's seeing it tonight? Great. Well, we, we won't, um, we, we won't um, give any plot details away, but um, we will uh, talk a little bit about it. The, um, Lawrence wrote these plays when he was in his 20s. The, the Husbands and Sons is three plays, um, A College Friday Night, The Daughter-in-Law and The Widowing of Mrs. Holroyd. And uh, he never saw these plays produced, and they had a very checkered history until the 1960s, when Peter Gill, who was an assistant director at the Royal Court, uh, staged one, and then it, it provoked so much interest that he staged all three. And it was a revolutionary thing, not only for the way people saw Lawrence and Lawrence's plays, but for the theatre of the time, um, because they were staged with extraordinary realism and meticulousness, and things like the folding of the sheets, the drying of the clothes, the making of the food. This was given a sort of ritual kind of um, importance and significance, and that was, um, was to be enormously influential. Uh, but when um, Marianne Elliott and uh, Ben Power, who adapted this uh, husbands and sons, when they were talking about what they were going to do, they decided to have a workshop and look at each of the plays. And it just became more and more apparent to them as the actors went through the different scenes from the plays that there were fascinating kind of parallels and echoes and ironies to be seen between the plays. So they did something which I think was enormously daring. They did it with great verve and subtlety. They interwove the three plays into a single um, production. And although each play is a single family, either the Lamberts, the Gascoins, or the Holroyds, what you get by this interweaving, as you see it here in the Dorfman, is something comes off that is not there in each individual play. And that is the portrait of a world. And it's a world that's centered around coal mining, a world that's centered around work. So that is our theme this evening, mm. to talk about Lawrence and work as it is presented on this stage. I'd like to start by asking Pamela, though, to give us a sense of labour conditions and working life in 1911, around that period, before the First World War, uh, the period in which mm. this play is set. Well, it's an incredibly vibrant time for British economy. Um, there's a, there's, it's a, a, a very buoyant um, metropole, isn't it? Britain is the capital of an empire. It's, it's a, it's a centre of world trade. 
and it's an economy that's powered by coal. And that's one of the things that struck me sitting watching it was that you know, the, 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 the British economy is powered by the, the people whose lives we see um, portrayed here. I guess um, there are three big kinds of work at, the, at that time, really. There's, there's still the agricultural sector, which is on the decline. Then you've got the industrial manufacturing sectors, and then the service sector, the rising service sector. So it's really a case of the decline of agriculture, the rise, continual rise of industry, manufacturing, and the rise of the service sector. And, and I think you don't often associate Lawrence, perhaps, with writing about the service sector. You think about writing about you know, the, the, the industrial life. But actually, in the play, you see lots of hints about the rise of this other, this other important area of life as well. And, and you know, working life was, was terribly hard, I think, at, at that time. You know, our great-great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents working at that time, you know, worked very long hours when we were working on the shop girls and servants um, programmes. You know, they were working 15, 16, 17-hour days routinely and some of the you know early demands for labor improvement were to bring down the working day to say 12 hours a day and a minimum wage of you know a few shillings a, a week so conditions very hard a big search for respect for workers going on at that time so it's a very exciting time in british history for the labor market lots of change and how does that under affect lawrence his family his parents what what was uh, the, the working circumstances for them I think one of the things that's uh, most obvious in the plays, actually, is this extraordinary clash of culture within the Lawrence household, which is clearly seen in the plays. I mean, Lawrence's father, Arthur, um, started work at the, at the pit at the age of seven and actually went underground at the age of ten for his first job. And Lawrence himself, of course, you know, benefited from the Education Act 1870. So he went to school between the age of five and 13 and then won a scholarship to Nottingham High School um, and subsequently became a pupil teacher um, and then actually went to Nottingham University College to uh, become a certified teacher before teaching here, actually, in Croydon um, in South East London. And, um, and I think you can see the, the clash of culture within the Lawrence household in a number of the plays, in, in the sections that come from A Collier's Friday Night. There are wonderful scenes in which um, the father, Lambert, after work, is you know, lolling in the chair, exhausted and being very grumpy with everybody. And Ernest, the Lawrence character, is, is reading the paper and saying, oh, Swinburne's died, or calling his mother Muttertian. And um, there's an ex extraordinary sense of kind of vibrancy, I think, within the plays, and also a presentation a very vivid and very intimate presentation of the life that Lawrence had known, actually, this life mm. in which there was social mobility, mm. um, you know, possible through mm. teaching and through education mm. and through winning scholarships. But at the same time, the, you know, the father's generation was still kind of, you know, working down the pit mm. and working long hours. Um, Can I just ask you a little bit about his father? Um, there are various types of jobs you could have as a minor. What, what was his job? Yeah, I mean, Arthur was, uh, had risen to be a butty, actually, um, which means that rather an elevated position for a miner um, to have. He was in charge of a team of so-called day men down the, down the pit. And so they, they mined a certain length of a seam of, of coal um, down, the, down the pit. And it was the butty who collected the wages for the whole team and then split the money up at the end of the week. 
And uh, Lawrence in famously in Sons and Lovers and also in A Collier's Friday Night uh, shows that process actually taking place. Mm. I mean, Lawrence himself collected his, the father's wages on a Friday evening in Eastwood, hated doing it because he was exposed to uh, all the colliers who were queuing up to do the same thing. Um, and then the father split the wages among the members of his team. It was a regular kind of routine, a Friday evening routine. But Lawrence's father, you know, he was an, you know, a, a respected, I think, um, and, and rather kind of, yeah, he'd worked his way up to having a position of responsibility. And he enjoyed uh, his work? Bit. I think very much so. Um, and was very much a part of that community in a way, of course, that the mother, whose father had been an engineer um, and who had kind of, they'd lived the family, his, his mother's family in, uh, in Sheerness in Kent. The father suffered an accident in his job as an engineer and actually moved to Nottingham uh, to a, um, a part of Nottingham called Snenton to be close to his family. Um, and at that time, she was, um, Lawrence's mother, was forced to enter the lace trade, the lace industry mm. in Nottingham. And I think you can see something of the mother's aspirations for her children in wanting to lift them out mm. of, of the, the work of, the, of, the, of mining mm. and, and out of the, the coal mines. I think that's it? a really important point, actually, that it's often women who are the drivers of, of, of change, of, of, of wanting to, to improve a family's lot or that kind of thing, or a, a, a girl who you know, just has to go out to work and... and uh, find a you know, new way of, of, of living, really, and, and a new way of being, being a young woman. That's what's happening, really, at, at this time. Yeah, I think it's very clear in, in Lawrence's plays and his writings more generally that uh, the men bluster and they're uh, terribly kind of... They, they show a certain type of power, um, you know, when they're, when they're complaining about things and directing people and everything. Mm. But it's often the women who really exercise mm. the power. Mm. It's they who have greatest sway over their families and over mm. their families' lives, that's clear. There are many types of work, aren't there? I mean, there's the mining, and then there's the, um, the work that the women do, and this is sort of, in a way, very graphically portrayed mm. in, the, on, in the poster, which has, it's as if Lizzie Holder yes. has been down the mine. And uh, I wondered if you'd yes. like to talk about how that struck you, watching the play and the different types of work. Yes, I mean, it's an incredibly arresting image that and it's on the, the posters that you see around around the town uh, advertising it um it is it's it's a it's this idea of the visceral effects of, of mining upon women's lives i mean women of course were in the mines down the mines until the 19 1840s uh, 6,000 women worked in mines up, up, up but so this is the, the period after that but what what we see here and portrayed in in these houses and in, in, in the set is the the lived effects of mining upon family life so for example the uh, you know, the mines wouldn't be able to function without the kinds of work that the, the, that the women did at home, you know, the washing of the clothes, the providing of the meals, all those kinds of things which sociologists call the social reproduction of labour, the things that makes labour happen, the things that make a, a worker fit to go out again in the morning. The women are, are performing all these, all these kinds of tasks. And so the rhythm of the household beats to the rhythm of, of the mine, the heartbeat of the mine, and that, that was what I took from, from, from the image and indeed from the whole production. You're in for a total treat, by the way, if you've not seen it. So it's a fa fabulous production. And does it create a certain conservatism within gender uh, roles? Or it does, because, because inevitably domestic work imposes constraints. You know, those clothes have to be washed, that meal has to be prepared, these, the, these tables are always full of activity. So it provides, it, there's a sort of rhythm to domestic work and, you know, and, and, and you know, it just has to be repeated again and again. 
um, and and it's, it can be very um, you know constraining to people. Mm. Um, what, what, what I think you see is the uh, contrast between the, the, the rather worn-out mother figures in the production and the younger women. Uh, I think it's in the Lambert household, uh, the, the younger women who are coming and going, going to school, going out to work, going, going out in the evening. You think you know, their time's going to come when they marry and have children and so on. <laughs> it's, it's quite an interesting difference, I thought, between the generations there. So it's constraining, but it, that frustration is often, I think, the spur for action and aspiration that I was talking about before. Yes. I, think, I think very often the women in, in Lawrence, you know, they demand fulfilment. They are these kind of forces of nature in some respects. Mm. Um, you know, uh, Minnie, um, uh, the character who you see, over there in, in the daughter-in-law. I mean, in a way, she fights Mrs. Gascoigne for Luther. She, she kind mm. of wants Luther back, and um, she's not willing to accept Luther, you know, hanging on to his mother's apron strings. She's the agent of making mm. him an adult and making him take mm. responsibility. And even Mrs. Gascoigne, you know, an absolutely fearsome and also, I think, terribly funny individual as well. Mm. I think that's the, one of the th aspects of Lawrence's writing that often gets overlooked that he is, he does give us slice of life and he does give us these situations in which characters are trapped in a social situation. But he also brings out wonderfully, I think, the humanity mm. of the individuals in there. I mean, these are human dramas that almost come quite close to Greek drama in some respects. Mm. I mean, you can see people, particularly in The Widowing of Mrs. Holroyd, going through extraordinary situations where, you know, the family are potentially reduced to ruin, you know, where the, the, the breadwinner mm. dies. Mm and the body's brought back. Um, and yet they're, always, they're used by Lawrence to really explore um, family life, relationship dynamics. Mm. You know, the, there, is, there is a feeling in which the, you know, the women are always um, you know, looking, looking at how they can find fulfilment through the relationships that they have. It's interesting, sociologists of work have this phrase called em emotional labour. That, that it, emotional work is a form of work in itself and, it, and it's bound up with caring um, and uh, you, know, you, you don't just do these things with, with, without expressing a kind of in, some emotional attachment to, to, to those to whom those tasks are directed and, and, and it takes its toll on everybody and uh, I think that's uh, when I was watching this before I, I was thinking wow this is, this is a whole exercise in emotional labour really you could do a whole thesis on that really. Yeah. With, um, we talked about mining as, as work and we talked about um, so domestic work, mm. work, but there's also sort of academic work, isn't there? And what's very astonishing, or surprising, if one is um, Lawrence as a teenager was moving in a very intellectual circle. Of, I mean, they were mm. they were reading a lot of books, weren't they, and um, setting themselves a high um, high benchmark. And I, th I think you can actually see that in the excerpts that come from a Collier's Friday Night. Because, um, you know, Ernest is talking about the lectures that he's had, actually complaining about them a lot of the time. And the father's sat there, obviously, to some degree, completely alienated from this talk of books um, and various things. And, um, you know, I mean, you can, you can see that, you know, actually books and learning were, were part of those households. It's easy mm. to think that actually the two worlds were completely separate. Mm. But they were coming into relationship with each other in that period, yeah. I think, yeah. with upward mobility. Yeah. And did you see, do you see that as complementary or as um, one, one is challenging the other? I think there is a feeling of uh, mutual incomprehension mm -hmm. to a certain extent in, in the text, of course. There, there is that. Um, and it's easy to say in some respects that actually sometimes Lawrence's portrayal of the father figure 
in Sons and Lovers, in A Collier's Friday Night, is unsympathetic. But uh, again, I would say that Lawrence always discovers the humanity in people. Mm. And very often his, you know, his uh, minor characters, or his working class characters, they have a wonderful kind of, um, have a wonderful humanity about them. They have all those frailties and weaknesses. Um, you see their vulnerability, mm. but also a lot of the comedy comes from them. Ernest, for all that he talks about these literary figures, you know, he seems sometimes a little bit uptight. Whereas when you see actual Lambert, you know, complaining about his wet breeches, about the fact that they'd not been dried properly in front of the fire, and he says to his, um, you know, to his wife, you know, how would she, how would she like to clap her, clap her ass in a pair of wet breeches? Mm. Mm. And there's just this wonderful sense of, um, you know, recreating that world and a wonderful sense of humanity. And certainly when I, when I saw the play, you know, people responded by actually laughing at those moments. They find them funny. Yeah. Pamela, can I ask you, as a historian, you, when you come and see a, a play presented like this, mm. what goes through your mind in terms of is it, this is evidence or this is yes. kind of a illustrative of the world? Well, so you think about you know television program and history documentary making. It's just a dream because the question you're always asking people is, how do you think it felt? How would it have felt to your, you know, your, an your ancestors to, to, to have done this? And here you've got it enacted, you know, before you, so it's, mm. it's rather luxurious in that way. Um, you know, we, we, we're very keen to know what it was like to live in those times and, and um, to experience life as it was then. And, and there's a passion, isn't there, for you know, reenactments of various kinds. And, and, and I, I, it, it brings a period to life, I think, in a way that it, 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 you, you get that too when you read it from the, on, on, from the page. But when you see it enacted here, then I, I think it adds a certain kind of extra power to it. I think there's a, there, is a, there is a really fascinating sense in which Lawrence began writing about Eastwood and began producing these Eastwood plays when he was in Croydon. There's a sense in which, you know, perhaps mm. one needs to have moved away from that type mm. of life in order to begin to value it and reappraise it and actually see it with that degree of, of detail. Mm. There's a wonderful story of Lawrence's sometime uh, girlfriend, Jessie Chambers, coming to see him in Croydon uh, and going to his lodgings and him actually getting out of Collier's Friday night and showing her and working through it. Mm. And she said she found it extraordinarily, almost quite disturbing to see him recreating the world that they'd both shared and known so well at that time. So he's, he's kind of, he has the eye of an artist. He's lived it. It's a world which feels very familiar. He's very intimate with the way people speak and the way they behave. And I think that's wholly evident in the plays, which are quite beautiful in the way that they... Um, construct that but at the same time he's also mediating it for a middle-class audience and he's you depicting know. a world which is gradually being lost even even at that time and uh, in fact I saw that the play in the week that the last mine closed you know just before Christmas and uh, it was incredibly moving week to, to, to see it but that, that, that has been a long process, and I, I, you know, my opening remarks were say, hinting at the, the rise of the service sector. Well, by 1900, Britain had the largest service sector in the world. And you, you kind of, that's quite surprising, I think, to many people. They think the rise of the service sector happened in the, in the 1970s with the mm -hmm. decline of manufacturing. In fact, they, they grow in a parallel mm -hmm. way. So, so, so this world that's depicted here is, is one that's on a slow historical decline. And, and in fact, by writing about it, I think you kind of encapsulate it and, and present it as something that is rather, you know, sort of ossified in a way. And I think actually, I mean, that, that's absolutely clear in the staging of Lawrence's plays. You know, he's so specific about what's going to be on stage. You know, there's a pension 
there's, uh, you know, he actually, the stage directions include this, this intimate kind of recreation of what, um, you know, a kitchen would be like, for instance, uh, in, in the text. And I, and I think there is that feeling of wanting not only to show a middle-class audience, look, this is, a, this is a world which you may never get to experience, but, but here mm. it is. And the characters even kind of, you know, in some of these plays, in the daughter-in-law, look off stage and start commenting on each other's crockery, you know, and things mm. like this. Even the books on the shelves, you know, these are documented in the stage directions. There's a feeling in which he wants to create this culture. And also, I think, fight stereotypes that the middle class have. Mm. You know, that actually somebody, you know, living in a cottage of this kind wouldn't be reading Nietzsche and the New Age. Mm. Actually, he shows that they were, you know, those books are on the shelves. They're there. Mm. What about, um, so to speak, not working strikes? And was there a different mm. relationship between the men and the women around strikes? I mean, I think this... The world of work that we see here, paid work, is a very male world of work. So if I have one sort of uh, issue with, the, you know, not the production, but I mean the, the, the historical depiction of work still ignores women's work, you know, still ignores the fact that so many women were self-supporting and that working in all these other industries that we've mentioned. I mean, so uh, there is this gender division and, and the, the world of, of, of this particular hard kind of working class um, industrial manufacturing kind of kind of world is the world that is uh, gives rise to unionization and and um, the defense of workers rights and, and and the strike which which happens you know, towards the end of, of the play so it's it's a very obviously crucial part of, of, of history in this period we had the national coal strike 1912 around the, around the living wage you know, it's, it brings the country almost to a standstill um, so it's an incredibly important part of, of, of labor relations at that time it's a very male world I think it's really important to say actually that Lawrence you know started out writing these plays and started out as a professional writer in 1912 um, and he produces not only plays about miners miners lives miners uh, relationships um, but also writes sketches actually and he's encouraged to do so by his early mentors um, and these are very saleable, they're very kind of topical. Um, things, you know, things like strike pay or her, her turn. There are a whole series of things which he gets published in, in newspapers um, in, in 1912. And those are all actually dealing with life inside a miner's house at the time of the 1912 strike. So they're actually put out there as kind of topical mm. sketches and, and newspaper articles actually at mm. the time. And women feature very strongly in oh, that. Protesting. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the strikes, obviously, because they're getting less money to look after mm. the family, and they see it as a, as a form of irresponsibility, actually, mm. in those. And so, actually, Lawrence shows that how the, the degree to which the women, if you like, kind of, you know, were protesting against their husbands taking strike action mm. and the consequences for them mm. of the strikes, actually. Before he wrote these plays, he saw um, Goldsworthy's play Strife, in mm. which, you know, the... Uh, it's dramatised, the fight between the, the bosses and the workers, but that isn't something that draws Lawrence's imagination, is it? Um, Lawrence did actually meet Galsworthy at one point and, and referred to him as a sawdust boar, actually. <laughs> um, they, the two didn't see, eye, didn't see eye to eye at all. And Lawrence does have a, an equivalent, if you like, of strife, a play called Touch and Go, which deals with um, you know, industrial unrest. It's well worth kind of reading, but I, I think it's true to say, on the whole, he was less interested in the particularities of the financial um, condition of workers and that political strife, and more interested in, in the emotional consequences 
of industrial unrest. So he really traced the, the emotional impact of, of, um, of the struggle for a living wage mm -hmm. on families. Mm -hmm. And he's interested in the emotional impact on, on that. And probably saw that more as the artist's role, actually, to mm -hmm. follow home the industrial action to, to the hearts of his characters, mm. as it were, and to trace it through that. That raises a really important point about that complete interrelationship of the economic with the emotional. The, the, the work is about putting food on the table, but it's also about how you feel and how you're treated. Mm. And even within a, an industry as, as, as tough and as hard as mining, that still absolutely matters, is absolutely central. And then these two things coming together in those kinds of uh, protests, I think. I think, I think Lawrence is constantly aware of the precariousness of the miners' existence. So, you know, he, he had actually witnessed in his family, um, that's where, the, in, in a sense, the plot of the widowing of Mrs. Holroyd comes from, a family member, an uncle, dying down pit. And, of course, that's catastrophic, potentially, for, mm. uh, for a family. And he explored that not only through widowing of Mrs. Holroyd, but through Odor of Chrysanthemums, one of his most famous short stories. So he's, he's kind of, he's interested in the way that, you know, actually the, the material, the financial conditions of families, you know, are actually, as you say, intimately related to issues of emotional mm. vulnerability. Mm. And yeah. too. As you, um, as you know better than us, Eastwood is, um, it's a small town and uh, it's only a few minutes walk into the countryside, isn't it? So we're, um, we're not talking about Coketown here or mm. something like that. We're talking about somewhere that's poised between industry and countryside. Would it be fair to say that comes out more strongly in the novels than in the plays? I think to a certain extent that, that's true. Um, you know, Lawrence's, I've mentioned his sometime girlfriend, Jessie Chambers. I mean, when he first got to know her, her family were, you know, tenant farmers, actually. And he, you know, he would escape Eastwood to go to Underwood and, and Hag's Farm. Mm. And it was a different world, you know, it was an agricultural economy mm. that was there mm. on, the, on the outskirts of mm. Eastwood. In, in Sons and Lovers, he describes Paul Morell, his central character, walking out to Hag's Farm and saying, it's just like Canada. <laughs> and, I, and I must say, as somebody who lives in that area, when you walk out there today, you can see where that comes from, in a sense, because, you know, there's just wonderful rolling countryside on the, on the Nottingham Derbyshire border there and um, you know Lawrence to a certain extent was encouraged I think by his mother to look beyond Eastwood to that mm. to that other world in a sense and you can see him you know making something of the mm. world that's around him you know seeing poetry in the pit head and the burning mm. embers at the pit head and um, you know he's, he's he's looking beyond Eastwood to some degree for that um, for that world of fulfillment to that world of, of mm. poetry as it were I'd just like to ask uh, one last mm. question. But, um, picking up in a way, on, and you're talking about the last mine closing, are we looking at it and 100 years later in a very, very different way and seeing a different meaning in the plays because we are looking at it elegiacally? Mm. I think that's inevitable uh, now, and especially you know, the, the fact that it's on now and, and the, the last one has closed. Um, you can't help but think that, really. Um, I don't know if that had any bearing on the decision to stage them. Mm. That would be interesting to know. Um, but I think, it, it, certainly going back to the work I did with, with, on servants, we only really became able to historicise service when service had ended. You know, uniformed service, obviously domestic service carries on, but, but we uniformed paid service uh, had gone. And you, you, there's that sort of gap between something ending and, and the, the conditions of its historicisation. 
um, becoming possible. So I think maybe you know, that's, that's inevitably going to happen now. I think work on so the same thing for history as for yeah. theatre. Anyway, I wonder if that relates to it taking so long to um, come to the stage because uh, there was a certain amount of condescension, wasn't there, from Catherine Mansfield and people who set, described one of his plays as black with minors. Yeah. I mean, during Lawrence's lifetime, you know, two, two plays um, that he, he was actively involved in helping to get stage. One of them was Widowing Mrs. Holroyd. Another was a later play called David. And I think it's true to say that neither of them was reviewed particularly well. Um, I mean, the interesting thing really is that, you know, Lawrence was, you know, never precious about his plays in that sense. He, he knew editors and he knew journal editors and he had literary advisors. So he had the in, if you like, to writing poems and publishing poems, plays, short stories, um, um, so po poems, short stories and, um, and novels. But he never really got to know directors. He knew some actors, so he never really had that. You know, he never really had the in, if you like, to, to the world of, world of theatre. But he was, he was never precious about his plays. He was always open to getting feedback from actors and directors and wanting to, um, to rewrite them. But he, he never really had the, um, enough feedback, or he never had it, the opportunity, I suppose, to stage his plays, which is a great pity. And it was only in the 60s, really, with um, realism, the interest in realism in theatre. Mm the kitchen sink dramas mm. that really, you know, the extraordinary achievement of his plays um, got the attention. They actually got the attention it deserved, mm. I think. Because had they been staged, his career may have gone in a very different direction. Certainly could have done. I mean, having said that, Lawrence at certain points in his life, um, before he became uh, established as a, as a novelist, he considered journalism as a career. So... Um, it's easy to speculate, but there are a whole series of routes that Lawrence's career might have mm. taken. But it would have changed British theatre as well, because, I mean, that would have been an astonishing um, mm. you know, uh, intervention. We are under uh, strict instructions to uh, mm. stop at quarter past, because the cast want to come on stage and warm up. Um, so I'd like to thank Andrew Harrison and Pamela Cox. Mm. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you.